but again, my name is Jared Severson. I'm uh, privileged to speak with you here this morning. Uh, question was favorite movie quotes, and there's tons of movie quotes. I consider myself a movie buff, even though I don't really ever watch movies for like the the... I don't know, the, the big story or the themes or whatever. I'm just entertained by movies. And so, uh, but we do quote a lot of movies uh, in our family as well. And so I've got some up here on the screen. Uh, feel free to shout them out if you kind of know what movie they come from. Uh, so can anybody name this movie? I'm serious and don't call me Shirley. Airplane. There we go. Uh, next one. You gonna eat those tots? Good, you guys are good. Napoleon Dynamite. Next one. So you're telling me there's a chance. Dumb and dumber. Good one. You're killing me, Smalls. Sandlot. Nice. Uh, I'm a middle school teacher, and grammar is one of those things where I don't like grammar mistakes, and I see I made a grammar mistake right here. So if you do find any mistakes at the end, end of today's talk, please... Let me know because I want to know when I make these grammar mistakes. But So yes, that was Sandlot. Great movie. I heard this was a party. Let's dance. That one's in there for you, Hannah. Footloose. That is from Footloose. She went to and Natty went to uh, at the Chanhassen Dinner Theater and saw Footloose and so then came home and proceeded to continue watching all the movies to compare and do an analysis of them. But <clears throat> so anyways, uh, we could go on and on with these uh, and spend hours probably quizzing each other on movie quotes, but I just have one more for you this morning. Pain heals, chicks dig scars, glory lasts forever. Anybody? Not the Bible. <laughs> This was the great Keanu Reeves in The Replacements, which was a football movie. And uh, we're going to come back to this a little bit, but we have been this summer going through a series called The Bible in 16 Verses. Uh, we've been journeying through the Bible um, and just kind of looking at what the Bible tells us, what our role in the story is, what God's role, what Jesus's role is. Uh, and today we're actually finishing the, this up. Uh, before we get to that, though, would you mind just bowing your heads and praying with me as we open up God's word and look at what he has to tell us? God, we often entertain ourselves with movies. Uh, we remember memorable quotes like these. Uh, today, we pray that uh, we might find some of those memorable quotes from your word uh, that inspire us and entertain us as well. Uh, open our hearts to you this morning, and we just pray this in your name. Amen. So like I said, ooh, it's bright all of a sudden. Uh, like I said, we've been going through the uh, Bible in kind of 16 verses, and this is kind of the timeline or the map that we've been following. Uh, and so we are getting to the end, or we're actually getting, we're at the end today. And so we're going to be wrapping this up. Um, but just to kind of remind ourselves where we've been, uh, we started by looking at creation and how God created everything, and it was good. He created human beings in his image. So we're all created in God's image, and we are uh, reflections of who God is, uh, but we fell into sin. Sin entered the world and that changed everything. Uh, but then God didn't just leave it there and just say, well, that didn't work. Uh, but he has promised redemption, promised that redemption through Abraham, through Judah, the line of kind of Abraham's family that nobody really expected. 
Um, there were a lot of things that were sinful, that were wrong, that were not quite right with that line of the family, but God is showing how he would still work through imperfect people. Uh, we looked at the Passover lamb and how, again, God rescued his people, how he gave them the law, how that pointed out what God's expectations were and you know what, what would make us kind of happy in that. I uh, looked at King David, who King David was, again, as an imperfect person, but who was claimed to be a, a man after God's own heart. The suffering servant, through the prophet Isaiah, God shared that he would send a servant to suffer and bear the iniquities of his people and pay the price of death uh, that all his people deserve because of sin. Uh, we looked at the resurrection. Um, remember Ezekiel and the dry... Uh, to just drive a bus and, uh, or maybe even a, a bigger truck someday, but we'll see. But I've been training to be a bus driver. And one of the first things that was asked of us in our uh, training session and our kind of safety training was what is safety? And the video that we were watching started with, you know, kind of the, the presenter saying safety is one of those terms that most people actually don't know how to define. Uh, and as I thought of it, I agreed, you know, how do you define safety? Well, being safe. But as a teacher, you know, I always tell my students, don't use the term in the definition. It doesn't really help you understand what it is. Um, and so, you know, we kind of had to work through what that definition of safety was. Well, for me, I think glory is kind of one of those, one of those terms. As I hear about what glory is, there's a lot of things that come to mind. Uh, we use it in church a lot. We sing about it. We hear it in songs. Uh, we possibly use the word when we're trying to motivate ourselves, kind of like Keanu Reeves was trying to motivate his team. Pain heals, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. Uh, so he's trying to motivate his team to do that. Uh, so I know that glory is a good thing, but when I hear about it, I don't actually know kind of what it is. So what is glory? Well, it's a movie. Uh, it's a great movie. If you haven't seen this, this is out back in the 90s, I believe. Um, actually, one of my favorite movies when I was in high school. Um, I did some looking. I wanted to kind of try to understand why this movie was actually called Glory. I mean, I had some thoughts about it. And as I looked through this or kind of did a little bit of research, I found this quote from First Sergeant Robert John Simmons. Uh, and he said, God has protected me through this, my first fiery leaden trial, and I do give him the glory. And so the movie was actually based on a newspaper quote, this, this newspaper or quote that was in a newspaper um, from this first Sergeant Robert John Simmons. And so we hear a statement like this a lot. We've heard famous athletes, we've heard icons, 
you know, on TV say, oh, I give God the glory. You know, doing things like that, pointing up to heaven and giving God the glory. Uh, and we sing about glory in songs. Hark the herald angels sing, popular Christmas tune. You know, glory to the newborn king. So it sounds like it's something that we can give God. So, you know, I give God all the glory. Glory to the newborn king. Is glory something that we just give God? Well, the Oxford Language Dictionary defines it. Glory is high renown or honor won by notable achievements. It's magnificent or great beauty. So it seems like glory can be something that we're motivated by. Seems like it's something that we could give God. Seems like something we can maybe achieve if we do something really well, we can achieve glory. And we see glory around us, magnificence or great beauty. So then my question was, I heard somebody, I think it was Jordan yell out, the Bible was where that quote was from before. I was wondering how does the Bible actually refer to glory? And so as we have kind of been doing throughout the summer with this series, is we've kind of been looking at three kind of players in the Bible story. So we've been looking about God. What does you know, the, the verse for the day or the passage for the day tell us about God, who he is, the second kind of player in the story is us. What role do we play in the Bible story? And then third, Jesus. How is Jesus just kind of the cornerstone of it all? And so we're gonna do that here uh, with glory as well. So let's start with God. How do we see glory used in the Bible to see or learn who God is? So if we look at Exodus 33, 18 through 22, it says, then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I'll put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I'll remove my hand and you'll see the back, see my back, but my face must not be seen. So according to this, glory indicates God's presence, his characteristics, his attributes, like goodness, mercy, compassion. God's glory is a visible representation of everything that God is. Moses asked to see God's glory. Okay, another verse. Exodus 40, later on in the book of Exodus, verses 34 and 35, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Another verse, 1 Kings 8, 10 through 11, when the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord. And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the, filled the temple. So from those verses, is there anything else that we notice? Well, the people didn't have uninhibited access to God's presence. Okay, the priests couldn't go in to see God's glory. It was covered by a cloud. We just read that. A cloud covered the tent of meeting. Moses' eyes were covered by God's hand. Remember what happened when sin entered the world? Well, Adam and Eve were put out of the garden. They were put out of God's presence. Sure, God was still with his people, but they could no longer access kind of the complete presence and essence of God, of the holy God. Uh, gotquestions.org 
uh, stated that in our current sinful condition, God's glory was just too awesome and too powerful for us to handle. So kind of thinking about this definition, what is glory? To begin our definition, our biblical definition, seems like glory is God's visible presence and magnificence. So it encompasses everything that God is, okay? So how about us? How do we kind of contribute to this definition of what glory is? What's our role in glory? Psalm 96, one through eight. says, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He's to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. So from this passage, we see that the Psalms, glory again is relating to the characteristics of God. And our role is what? Our role is to ascribe to the Lord, ascribe to him the glory. Our, our job, our role is to declare his glory, to praise him, uh, give credit that's due to God for all that he is. And then ultimately, in verse nine there, worship. Our job is to worship God for who he is. Uh, remember the Christmas story. I'm sure all we, we all do. It's a story that we hear over and over again. Uh, the angels appeared to the shepherds in the field. In Luke 2, 13 and 14, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Glory or praise to God in heaven. Why? Because God's worth it. He was sending his son to live and die on earth for all of us to take away our sins. Uh, there's actually a Hebrew word that's used here uh, and elsewhere in the New Testament to describe glory. Uh, and that word is kavod, if I'm saying it correct. Uh, according to Miss Snellner Vrolnik here, kavod means uh, the basic meaning of weightiness. Oh, her name didn't show up. Another mistake. Uh, another me or basic meaning of weightiness and value or deserving of honor. Um, Christianity.com, again, in some of my looking and uh, diving into this this weekend or this week, uh, gave a good example that helped me better kind of understand what this, this term kavod or glory means, but uh, putting it into terms of gold. Um, so we all would probably agree that gold is extremely valuable. Uh, to calculate its weight or calculate its value, excuse me, the, the weight of gold is measured. So God's glory is like that. It's extremely heavy or awesome or powerful, like the quote I had mentioned before. Uh, therefore, God's glory is an indicator of his value. So then what's our response when we see evidence of God's glory and presence through miracles, through answered prayers, through nature being out and seeing the beauty of nature? What's our response when we see God's awesomeness like that? Our response is praise. Uh, the shorter Westminster Catechism 
says the chief end of man is to glorify God. That's the first statement in that book. And the, the Westminster Catechism is a theological document that Christians around the world have based their doctrines on. Um, and so it asks that question right at the beginning, what is the chief end of man? What's our purpose? Uh, and so we're to praise God and enjoy all that he has for us. We are to recognize all that God is, who he is and worship him. And that's what's gonna make our joy complete. We're gonna enjoy him forever. That makes us truly kind of joyful. Uh, Lecrae, this is Lecrae. It looks like his name is behind the picture now, but he is a Christian rap artist. Says, you and I live to manifest the glory of God. One of the things that I found is that I like to use Google Slides and the, uh, the system that we use is all Mac-based and so the formatting doesn't show up a lot. So I apologize for that, but uh, this is Lecrae and he does say, you and I live to manifest the glory of God. So manifest means to show or to bring something to light. So our job is to help others see God. That's our purpose. A lot of times it's much easier said than done. Uh, how many times have you heard maybe recently or throughout history where someone has done something in the name of Christianity or for God's glory and you really question and wonder about that? Is that glorifying to God? Does that manifest or point others to the nature of who he is? Uh, another quote, this one from Thomas Rome says, we are to manifest his presence to others, not to selfishly seek happiness, not in effect to glorify ourselves, but simply and profoundly make our faith in God visible. When we do that, we are glorifying God, bringing glory to him. Yes, we, you and I are his glory. Amazing, isn't it? God glorifies himself in his creation and that includes us. And we glorify him when we praise him, thank him, pray to him, worship him, live obediently for him, and when we suffer for his sake. Worship and praise, listening to this quote, tell me that that's not just a Sunday activity. It's not just something that we do at church. Glorifying God means to live your life for God. Are you loving your neighbor? Are you loving the fatherless, the widow? Are you serving others? Are you living obediently? That's how we manifest or show God's glory to the world around us. We get to share our story. Last week we heard uh, Josh, uh, one of our worship team members come up and share his story and talk about how powerful our stories can be to other people. We get to share our story with others, not because we have to, rather because we get to. We get to show Jesus to our neighbors and our community because we want to praise him and glorify him and glorify God for all that they are. So adding to our definition, our biblical definition, glory is also praise and worship directed toward the one who deserves it and then showing God to the outside world. We should live upward and outward. Everything points to God and we live outward for the sake of others because that's what brings God's glory and shows God to the world around us. So if we look again at the part of the Christmas story, when kind of the angels appeared to the shepherd in the field, we hear the angels singing out again, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace on those his favor rests. So why are they giving God the glory? The obvious answer is Jesus. I mean, this is the Christmas story. Jesus was just born. 
So how does Jesus, the third actor kind of in our Bible story that we continue to look at, how does, how does Jesus play into this concept of glory? In John 1 through 4, or excuse me, John 1 verse 14 says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Jesus is the embodiment of God's glory. Everything that makes God, God is put together in the human body of Jesus. We see God's magnificence in that person, in Jesus. Uh, in 2 Peter 1, 16 through 18, for we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. So Peter here is clarifying that Jesus isn't a myth. He's a historic, real human figure that lived. He breathed, he walked around. What made him different was that God imparted his glory and majesty on his son, Jesus. Jesus was to be the example to us of how we can live in a way that was glorifying and honoring to God. Another verse here in Colossians 1.15 says, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So all of us were created in God's image. Okay, just like Jesus, who here is proclaimed to be an image bearer of God. In addition, Jesus was made visible that which people could not bear to see, which was God's presence, God's glory. So Jesus was a physical person, real life person that people could look on and they could see and they could see all of who God was in that. And that wasn't something that throughout our story so far that people had access to because of sin and because of being, having to be put out of the garden, out of God's presence. Hebrews 1 verse three says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Again, Jesus set the example for us in a sinless, as living a sinless life. Uh, so he could glorify or honor God on the cross as he died for our sins. Again here, like it says, he was the exact representation of God. Jesus was our Passover lamb. He was our suffering servant, our king, our redeemer. Jesus was God made visible. So going back now to our biblical definition of glory, adding to this, one more thing to understand is that glory is show, oops, uh, showing God to the world, which we had mentioned before, but then we see all of who God is in the person of Jesus. It's Jesus that we see and follow. He's our example. He's our shining light that guides our path. It's only because of him that we can look to a day when we actually get to be in God's presence again, when we get, actually get to see God face to face, not have our eyes covered. So now that we have a, I'm missing a slide here, that's all right. Now that we have a biblical definition of glory, we can go back to kind of that, our, our excuse me. Now that we have a biblical definition of glory, we can go back to kind of our timeline. And we're actually gonna look at our final verse today through our 
tour. And so our final verse comes from Revelation 21, uh, one through four, but specifically kind of this section right here, or this uh, verse right here, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. So the verse three here, this is our verse for today. And to better understand this, we do need to expand it a little bit. And so we're going to get some more context here and look at verses one through four. So Revelations 21, verse one through four says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Now think about the best moment of your best day. Try to get that in your head, what that best moment of your best day is. It's only a glimpse of what we have in store for us. Can you imagine? I mean, it's hard for me to imagine this, but this week as I was looking at these verses, I kind of let it sink in a little bit more than I do when I normally kind of read the Bible, but let things sink in a little bit more. I got excited this week just imagining this right here. Imagine no more tears, no more death, no more mourning, no crying, no pain. All that's gone, it's wiped away. We all have people around us. Maybe it's you yourself, me, myself, that struggle with depression, with pain, with anxiety. I know I have people that are close to me that, that struggle with those things. Can you imagine how freeing this would be when you know that one day there's no more pain, no more death, no more dying, no more tears? How many of us have lost loved ones? Uh, my, my, my mom died four years ago. Uh, it's a difficult thing. Funerals, you go to a funeral and it's, it's called a celebration of their life, which it is, but it still feels off. Uh, it hurts. We miss the person who is deceased. It wasn't what we were created for. Uh, we were created for life. In the new heaven and the new earth, there is no death. Imagine that. Uh, Revelation also tells us that we get to be finally in God's presence. I got super, again, like I mentioned, I got super excited about this over this week because there's so much wrong, there's so much hurt, there's so much pain in this life. But this promise should give us all the more reason to glorify and praise God, to ascribe who God is, those good characteristics of what makes God, God, to tell other people about that, to show that, to, to be thankful and just to praise God for that. Uh, last week, last Sunday, uh, Natty and I actually just celebrated our 23rd anniversary. Yep, seems like only yesterday. Uh, so we celebrated our uh, 23rd anniversary. I remember her still walking down the aisle during our wedding ceremony. Yeah. Uh, such a beautiful sight, watching her walk down that aisle. As beautiful as she was, as beautiful as that moment was, that's nothing compared to what we get to experience someday. 
That's just a glimpse of the beauty that we experience. Now, no offense to any photographers, but I always kind of chuckle at, you know, some different poses and things like that. Like Natty right there is just saying like, okay, I'm going to stand here and awkwardly hold this bouquet. <laughs> and I'm just in the back saying, yeah, you know. Uh, but anyways, beautiful sight, beautiful day. I mean, that day goes by in an instant, but just imagine what it's going to be like. Now, I know this is a little bit cheesy, I'm going to put up a long quote here, but it's worth a listen. would encourage you, if you're into it, to just kind of close your eyes and picture what's in store for us. Okay? So this is a quote from Jonathan Edwards. Again, if you would, just kind of close your eyes and just imagine kind of this wedding celebration that's in store for us someday. In that resurrection morning, when the sun of righteousness shall appear in the heavens, shining in all his brightness and glory, He'll come forth as a bridegroom. He shall come in the glory of his father with all his holy angels. That will be a joyful meeting of this glorious bridegroom and bride indeed. Then the bridegroom will appear in all his glory without any veil. And then the saints shall shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father and at the right hand of their redeemer. Then will come the time when Christ will sweetly invite his spouse to enter in with him into the palace of his glory which he had been preparing for her from the foundation of the world and shall, as it were, take her by the hand and lead her in with him. And this glorious bridegroom and bride shall with all their shining ornaments ascend up together into the heaven of heaven, the whole multitude of glorious angels waiting upon them. And this son and daughter of God shall in their united glory and joy present themselves together before the father when Christ shall say, here am I, and the children which thou hast given me. And they both shall in that relation and union together receive the Father's blessing and shall thenceforward rejoice together in consummate, uninterrupted, immutable, and everlasting glory in the love and embraces of each other and joint enjoyment of the love of the Father. That's beautiful. One day we can come into God's presence holding Jesus's hand as our savior and bridegroom and go and see God. Jesus takes us by the hand and leads us to that point. It's so beautiful. Uh, many of you, just as well, kind of like a, a wedding ceremony, many of you have traveled around the world, seen some beautiful sights. Uh, we can see them, but whatever your picture of beauty is, again, is just a glimpse of the beauty and majesty that's in store for us. When everything is restored, so it's not just us that are restored as people, everything, a new heaven and a new earth, everything is made new. Because remember, sin in this world has tainted everything around us. In the new heaven and new earth, everything, including nature, is restored. Uh, you know, I look at, this is my favorite picture. We went to travel to Europe four years ago. Uh, and this picture of Hannah right here is my favorite picture from that trip. You know, I look at that and I see couple examples of beauty. You know, I've got a beautiful person, my beautiful daughter right there, beautiful background. You know, that it's just a glimpse. If that is something that is so beautiful, just imagine what's in store. You know, another picture, you know, whether you think that picture of nature is beautiful or not, whatever, again, just imagine whatever your picture of beauty is in nature. That's just a glimpse of what we get to experience. But the question then, at least in my mind, that still remained is how do we ensure that we get to that place? 
Because I think a lot of us kind of struggle sometimes, well, what do I need to do? Am I supposed to be good enough? Do I need to, you know, how do I get to that point where Jesus takes my hand and walks me, you know, like a, bri- like a, like a bride walks me to visit God, to see God? And the simple answer is just that, Jesus. In John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the way. He came, he lived, he was seen, he died, he was resurrected. All we need to do is believe. He made the way for us to return to God's presence. He's holding our hand. He took our hand and leads us there. Uh, John 3.16, common verse that we see all over the place. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It's all we need to do. All we need to do is believe and we can share in that eternal life with God and all his glory, face to face with his goodness, his love, his mercy, his joy, his truth. It's good, good news and that's the good news that Jesus brought for us. Uh, over the past couple weeks um, or past couple weeks, we've kind of looked at these three different kind of types of power. Um, two weeks ago, Drew had, was talking about the receipt of power, which was that evidence or the proof for us. Um, justifying power last week, which was kind of life-giving, wrath-absorbing, making it right. And this week is that consoling power where death no longer gets that last word. Um, we looked at this kind of verse a little bit ago in Second Peter 1.16, uh, and we see that Jesus came in power and Peter the, and the other apostles were witnesses of that majesty or that glory. Uh, today, as we add kind of consoling power to this list where death no longer gets the last word, the question is, again is why, and it's because of Jesus' death and resurrection. Death couldn't keep him down. If we believe, death can't keep us down either. It may seem like it right now because we're still in a fallen world, but just wait, God's promises don't fail. Uh, Charles Spurgeon once said, sweet is the consolation which comes to us from the empty tomb of Jesus. God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his own power. So if we claim Jesus as our suffering servant, we're promised to be raised up by that same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Death didn't hold him down, it can't hold us down. He was the perfect sacrifice one time for all time. Uh, Jesus suffered more than we can imagine. We should take comfort in the fact that Jesus as a human being has experienced those things that we're going through. Uh, We can be consoled by the power that God has to raise him from the dead. It's a great mystery to our finite minds, uh, but it can bring us hope and joy and therefore we keep fighting. So how do we make it until that day? So if we know that Jesus is there and we just need to believe in Jesus, how do we make it through those struggles? How do we make it to that day of glory and that day that Jesus returns? Well, we cast everything on who Jesus is. Uh, We allow him to take our fears, our pains, our mourning, our sadness, our anxiety, our depression, our loneliness, our hurt, go on and on with whatever that list is. It's not easy. Larry Crabb from his book, Inside Out, says we sometimes expect too much or to put it more precisely, we look for a kind of change God hasn't promised. 
It's possible to expect too little, but under expectation is usually a cynical reaction to dashed hopes for too much. We manage to interpret biblical teaching to support our longing for perfection. As a result, we measure our progress by standards we will never meet until heaven. Uh, when we deal with kind of pain, the pain of life, oftentimes we want it to be just completely gone. But unfortunately, God hasn't promised that to us. Fortunately, there still is good news, but God hasn't promised it for us. Like he says in John 16, 33, I've told you these things so that in me, you will have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So there's the bad news and the good news all rolled into one right there. We can be consoled by the fact that Jesus has experienced life on earth with us. He's experienced the emotions that we go through regularly. Uh, my oldest son, Aaron, who is about to turn 21 next week or in a couple weeks, no, next week, next week, uh, he had a heart defect when he was born. Uh, doctors performed open heart surgery uh, when he was six days old. Uh, the surgery went okay, but there were prop, uh, problems that doctors literally told us we're just gonna have to wait and see if they correct themselves. It wasn't anything that you know, they could do to correct it. Um, I will tell you that was one of the most, if not the most nerve wracking experience of my life. Uh, he ended up being in the hospital for the first month of his life. All Natty and I wanted to do was just bring him home. We've got this newborn, we, you know, he's born, he's healthy, we wanna take him home, but we didn't get to. Um, it just seemed wrong. Uh, but praise and glory to God that he did eventually come home and he's been mostly healthy ever since and gonna have his 21st birthday here in the next week, which is, you know, again, praise God, that's all we can do. Uh, as wrong as that whole situation felt, I can't tell you how much peace we felt in that time. I tell other people this all the time. I don't know how somebody could go through a situation like this, not having Jesus to fall back on and not and cast your cares on. You know, not having a faith like a faith that just says, there's nothing I can do, Jesus. Please take it and give me that peace. Um, I know not all stories work out as well as our family's story. Many of you have maybe experienced death and mourning. Uh, remember the story when Jesus' friend Lazarus died? What was his reaction? Jesus wept. Uh, why? He wept because it was painful, it hurt. It wasn't what we are created for. But we can take consolation in Jesus. He knows what we're going through. He's experienced that. Peace in our difficult times comes from Jesus. When we're in him, despite difficult circumstances, we can be assured that there's a better day coming, a day when we get to return to glory, when things become better than we could ever imagine. Uh, Drew also had mentioned a few weeks ago that he did go to eventually that Kirk Franklin Maverick City music concert that was postponed at one point. Uh, one of the songs, one of the Kirk Franklin Maverick City Music songs that was quoted a couple weeks ago, I think, um, after Drew did go to their concert, was this song called Fear Is Not My Future. Um, it's an 18 minute song on YouTube, so I wasn't gonna play the whole thing for us. Um, we're not gonna listen to it. I would encourage you to go back to it at some point and do it. Again, it's called Fear Is Not My Future. Uh, but I do wanna go back to some of those lyrics. Uh, hello peace, hello joy, hello love, hello strength, hello hope. It's a new horizon. 
And if you're ready for a breakthrough, just open up and just receive because what he's pouring out is nothing, nothing you've ever seen. Fear is not my future, you are. Sickness is not my story, you are. Heartbreak's not my home, you are. Death is not the end, Jesus, you are. Goodbye fear, goodbye guilt, goodbye shame, goodbye pain, goodbye grave. It's a new horizon. That is awesome. Again, such sweet lyrics. Goodbye to all those crappy things. Hello to all of that, all of that goodness. Hello to God's glory. It's a new horizon when the new heaven and the new earth come to us. So that gets us to kind of the conclusion of our journey going through the Bible in 16 plus verses. Uh, And this is our story. God created a kingdom and he's a king, but he made human beings to represent him in that kingdom. Adam and Eve rejected this call, which led to sin and death. But God promised to defeat the serpent through the seed of the woman, who is also the seed of Abraham. Through Abraham's family and specifically Judah's royal seed, the covenant blessings would come to the world because all people were guilty and deserved death. The sacrifices revealed more clearly their need for a substitute, the suffering servant. Through the servant and the work of the spirit, God would establish a new covenant and give lasting life to his people in the new heavens and new earth. Jesus is the one through whom all of these promises find fulfillment. First in his sacrificial death as a necessary and just payment for sin, and then in his victorious resurrection and reign as king. This great story will find its culmination when the redeemed from every tribe, tongue, and nation gather in the new creation to live with God forever. Friends, one day soon, we're gonna be face to face with God and all of his glory. Faces won't be hidden in a cloud or behind a rock or with a veil. We're gonna see him in all of his majestic beauty forever. So I don't think this was meant to be theologically sound, uh, but Shane Falco, I think, had it partially correct. Pain will heal. Pain is going to heal and God's glory does last forever. We can be assured of that. Uh, In a second here, we are going to, or we are going to now kind of transition into a time of worship. Um, Gonna have Jordan come back up as we move into that time. A Couple of reflection questions for you to think about. Do you marvel at God's glory? I hope that, maybe not my words, but I hope you could go back to that Revelation passage in 21 at some point this week and just sit in those four verses and try to imagine what it's gonna be like when we see that new heaven and that new earth and we get to be in God's presence. Do you marvel at that, at God's incredible beauty and his character? How do you glorify and praise God? What are some ways that you show that to the world and you ascribe those characteristics to who God is? Do you believe in Jesus and his sacrifice for you? And who do you, need, who do you know that needs to hear these good words and these, this good news? Uh, we're gonna spend some time worshiping God's glory and who he is. Uh, This can take a lot of different forms. One of those is singing. Jordan's gonna lead us in three different songs. Uh, During those songs, we'll uh, have an opportunity to sing, obviously, but then also prayer, pray. Um, Feel free to use any of this time that we have in silent reflection. Uh, Also, if you want somebody to pray for you, we will have a couple people in the back of the auditorium that are there to do just that. Uh, You can ask them for a specific prayer if you have something or just ask them to pray for you kind of in a general term or generally 
as well, and they would be more than willing to do that. Um, I do have one more quote here uh, from Nancy Guthrie, who wrote a book called Even Better Than Eden. Taking and eating what was prohibited by God led to judgment for Adam and Eve, but taking and eating of God's provision of Christ leads to salvation for all who will feast on the fruit of the cross of Christ. Uh, at any point, again, during these three songs, you can also head out into the lobby to take communion. Communion is just a, a way to partake in Jesus' death and resurrection. Uh, here at Hope, we don't believe that we're saved by taking communion, but it's a statement to the world that we are already saved because he's our savior and our hope is in him. Um, you also don't have to be a member of Hope or this church body or any church body to take communion. We just ask that you are a follower of Jesus and if you aren't right now this morning, you can definitely give your life to Jesus and be assured that one day you'll see that new heaven and that new earth. Um, so uh, please pray with me and then we will get to our time of worship. Uh, Jesus, uh, we want your promise of a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, we've wandered away from the garden and we need you to guide us back. Uh, we thank you for your sacrifice. We praise you for who you are. Help us to see your beauty and your majesty. Help us to know that death is not the end, Jesus, but you are. Uh, you made a way for us to come back into your presence and one day we'll get to see you face to face. Uh, amen.